Hey, good morning, Life Church. Good afternoon, whenever you're watching, streaming, by the beach, on your boat, on your deck, having coffee with friends. It's good to be with you. I'm Alex Rahill, and I get to serve here once in a while and share God's Word. And today we're talking about how to have a fresh start. We're in the book of Psalms, which is the prayer book, the song book of Israel, and we're learning about all the ways that we can connect with God and draw closer to God and experience the fullness of our human life and emotion and uh, walk more deeply with God. And today we're talking about how to have a fresh start with God. Uh, we're talking about a word called repentance. And if you don't remember anything else, you need to remember this. In repentance, God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. Part of the goodness of God. But I want you to think for a moment, uh, have you ever done any something wrong or something shameful, something guilty? And the answer is yes. Okay, so don't, don't lie to the person next to you right now. Just keep from one more sin and just say, yeah, oh yeah. And have you hoped no one would ever find out, right? We all have some things, secrets, um, and we don't want anyone to ever find out. And those things that we've done wrong or we're shameful or feel shame about or guilt, they, they can burden us. Something really interesting happened in New York uh, several years ago. Two women who were dressed as 19th century washerwomen, like women who would wash clothes, had a sign uh, on, in Manhattan, and they invited people to unburden their souls. And so what these two women did is they would flag someone down, they would point to the sign, and it would say, all your dirty laundry... Uh, air your dirty laundry, 100% confidential, anonymous, free. And then she would offer the person a clipboard that would have a piece of paper on it and an envelope that said secret with instructions to write out your confession, put it in the envelope and seal it. Everyone was surprised how many people took them up on this offer. Hundreds and hundreds of people came and what would happen is that person would write out their confession they'd put it in the envelope they'd seal it and once they were far enough away that no one could recognize who they were they would open the envelope and open up the confession the other woman was was uh, drawing paintings of each person and again in a way they couldn't tell who it was but they, they, they would uh, paint that person's image and so they would put the painting up there and the confession in a storefront window in Manhattan. And that window, uh, hour by hour, got filled. If the whole window was filled with people's confessions. And here's one of the things that happened. Executives took those sheets of paper and uh, joggers and uh, shoppers and secretaries. Everybody took these things. And, um, and the confessions were, some were silly, some were terrible. For example, one confession said this, the hermit crab was still alive when I threw it down the trash chute. Feeling guilty. Another one said this, I want to see SUVs explode. Those people are so selfish. And as the day went on, the confessions continued to get deeper and more um, uh, dark and, and unburdened. Someone said, I'm dating a married man and getting financial compensation in exchange for the guilt. I'm 25 and he's a millionaire. 
Another person said, I make fun of this one friend behind her back all the time. She just enrages me, but I get freaked out when I think about what she might say about me. I worry this means we're not really friends. Human relationships are so infinitely confusing. Someone confessed, I killed a man 41 years ago. Another simply said, I have AIDS and no one knows. This little storefront experiment uh, revealed and surfaced all kinds of burdens and guilt that people had been carrying in their hearts. And one of the things that crossed every socioeconomic uh, strata, social standing, was this, a lot of people are hiding things. People are hiding from the police or parents or from coaches or teachers. They're hiding from their bosses or from their spouses. And many people today are hiding from God. How about you? As you sit quietly here right now and everything looks good on the outside because that's what we all do, but is anything bubbling up inside you? A burden, uh, something you feel guilty about, something you're hiding or that you feel shameful about in your past. As one person said, maybe it's an abortion. Another person uh, had a shady deal where they knew they were ripping someone off. Another person stolen money or property or the pornography problem that this, this person can't seem to get away from, or impure thoughts that are taking on strength and someone's worried they're going to start acting them out. What about that person we hurt? Maybe nobody knows about the scheming or the lies or the cheating, but here's the truth, friends. God knows, and we know. And in our passage today, we're actually going to read about one of the most, most well-known people in history, and he has a secret, and it's burdening him in a powerful way. And which might surprise you is this, this person has a history with God, a long history with God. He's a man of faith, but like many people, he finds himself off course in his midlife, and, he, when, and he's at risk, and when temptation comes... He gives in. His name is David. And you can read this in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. I'd encourage you to read that for the full story in, in Psalm 32. But we're going to see what happens in his life. And David, in his middle years, had had a lot of success, a lot of favor with God. He was the sweet singer of Israel, we're told. He's a king. <clears throat> but when he should be off... <clears throat> protecting his borders and, and, and protect uh, with his army, he's at home in his palace. And he goes up on his roof because that's where people sat in those days. Their roof was the place where they would have cushions or hammocks and, and they would sit out. And of course, as the king, his roof was the highest roof. And he spies a beautiful woman bathing down below on a roof down below. And he looks and he's tempted. And that look lingers. So to the point where he sends his staff to go bring her to him. They go and bring her to him and he commits adultery with her. She goes home and not long after, a month or two later, she, he, she, gets, um, she sends him a message, I'm pregnant. Now David knew ultimately that his sin was going to find him out because that woman was married to one of his faithful officers who, were, who was on the front lines while David was at home. And he's tempted right now, as we all are, because this is what sin does. It always takes us farther than we ever intended to go. 
And so what does the king do now? He finds himself in, in this cover-up. He's trying to hide this thing. And so he orders Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, the woman, she orders Joab to put Uriah at the front lines, knowing that Uriah will most likely get killed. And he does get killed. And so now David is covered up adultery with murder. But he thinks he's in the clear. And uh, and Uriah's dead, and David is go- will take this widow into his home, and that would seem to be uh, to be uh, a kindness. Uh, but then David's confronted by God through a prophet named Nathan, and Nathan tells David a story because Nathan's coming to David, and he says, "There was this man, and he had uh, sheep beyond counting. He had this huge." Uh, homestead with all these sheep and some guests came to his house and wanted to um, eat with him and, and, and visit him and so rather than take one of his sheep he went next door to a man who had one sheep the sheep was so precious to the family that they named it and they it was like a pet and he took that sheep and he had it slaughtered and he fed his guests and Nathan asked David what should be done to the man who took the other man's sheep. And David said, he should be killed. He, he should pay back four times what he took from that man. And Nathan looked David in the eye and he said this, you are the man. We use that phrase today to mean you the man, but actually it comes from a very dark uh, confrontation with truth that you are that man. And David realized his sin had found him out. And he went into a period of of repentance and turning back to God. And here's the truth. All of us sin. It's part of the nature of humanity. All of us do the wrong thing. And the question isn't, do we sin? The question is, will we learn from our failures? And how do we respond when we have the opportunity to address those failures? And here's the point between David and the people in Manhattan. Like the people in Manhattan, David writes his private confession down. But unlike the confessions of the people in New York who put them on a window for others to see, David goes to God and offers God his confession. And his confessional prayer shows us today, it's preserved for us today, to show us how to repent. And repent actually is a navigational term. It's a It's a traveling term. It means I'm going in one direction and I realize I'm going in the wrong direction. I have to do a U-turn. Okay? That's what repent means. We still have this today. We do U-turns. And the reason we do a U-turn is we're going in one direction and suddenly we get hit with the realization, I'm going in the wrong direction. Or I need to go back because something's out of sorts. And that's what repent means. We turn from our sin and we turn toward God and we find renewal. So we're going to walk with David this morning for a few minutes and we're going to see because David actually, his prayer is preserved for us in Psalm 51, one of the most well-known Psalms in scripture. And we want to follow David and understand how he turned back to God and how today you and I can turn back to God because repentance, in repentance, God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. And what do we need to do? Well, we need to first turn to God for cleansing. 
Psalm 51, verse 1. It says, have mercy on me, O God. This is David's prayer. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, we're going to cover a lot of this quickly because it's so deep. We could spend a whole series in Psalm 51, but I want to point out two things here. David does this amazing job of capturing two things, the nature of sin and the character of God. And this is important for us to see how everything else plays out from this. David asks for mercy because he understands sin is like a crime. It and we, we have transgressed. We have violated someone else. We've violated justice. We've broken the law. And mercy, uh, and, and if we're going to be freed from our crime, we don't need justice. We need mercy. Justice means you get exactly what you deserve. And God is a God of justice. Mercy means you and I don't get exactly what we deserve. God, have mercy on me. God, don't give me what I deserve. Uh, and David understands this. He, he understands that uh, sin is a crime that breaks God's law, breaks God's heart. It hurts us and it hurts others. And it, there, and it requires mercy. He says, blot out my transgressions. He understands sin's like a debt. It's like a ledger, accounting ledger. And he says, blot it out or, or wipe out my debt that I owe. It needs to be erased. And then he says, wash me thoroughly and cleanse me. And he understands sin is like an ugly stain. It defiles our souls. It, 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 it's, it's, um, it leaves a ruinous darkness on our soul. I remember uh, my, one of my images for this, my, my kids, uh, I won't name which kid, but had an a, a, a explosive bowel movement in their underwear. I know it's gross, but we need to feel the sin here, people. Work with me. And it was just nasty. And, you know, if you've ever had your kid do that and it blows up and down, it's the legs, it's the back. But these starched white underwear were never going to come back. And I washed, I tried to wash these things or get them clean and everything else. And uh, But this stain would not leave them. And my wife finally prevailed on my senses and said, there's no, this thing just needs to, we need to throw this out. Here's the beauty though. God won't throw you out. God will cleanse us in a way that that stain is removed. It's gone. And, um, uh, and, and we need to understand that it's deep and it's dark and it's gross. So David appeals to God, but how, how, why did, how does David appeal to God? And this is really, really important. It's not based on me or my strengths or what I can do to make amends, even though he's going to change his behavior. He appeals to God's character. And this is really important for us to understand. He, he looks to who God is and says, Lord, I'm going to ask for mercy based on who you are, O God. And he says, according to your unfailing love, your said this covenant love that you refuse to quit on me. You love me, Lord. You have this unconditional acceptance and care for me. And I don't deserve it. It's not about what I deserve. Um, I can't plead for forgiveness or mercy based on my attributes, but I'm, I'm pleading for this based on your attributes, God. That's where, why we can count on forgiveness. It's not about us. It's not about us making our lives better. It's about God and his love and his goodness and that he's for you. And then he says, 
according to your great love and according to your great compassion or your abundant or overflowing mercies. And this is really important because David's painting this picture of this overflow. God's not a miser. He's not like Ebenezer Scrooge and you need a little mercy and he's going to give you a little one, one little drop of mercy at a time like you're a... a, a, a um, uh, dehydrated soul in a desert and you're looking for water and God's going to give you one drink. No, he pours it out. His mercies, and that's what that word means, abundant, overflowing mercy. When God forgives, he forgives beyond what we can imagine. And I want to just point out two illustrations in Scripture that help us to understand this. Psalm 103, it says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove his uh, our transgressions from us. And I love that because guess what? If you start going uh, uh, east and you go east and you go east, when do you hit west? You never hit west. That's how far God removes our sin. You're, you're never going to get there. It's, uh, in Micah, it says that God loves us and he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. It's another figure of speech or metaphor about, well, we're just, even today, we are still not plumbing the depths of the sea. Imagine all the technology we know and think back 3,000 years, there is, nobody goes into the depths to see. It's gone. And uh, someone added, and I, I love this, and, and then God puts up a sign that says, no fishing. We're not going back for this. We're, we're not going back to look on this. When I forgive this, it's gone. And I don't want you to, it's, and you're freed and you're cleansed. And did you know that's what God wants to do for you? And that's what God wants to do for me this morning. He wants to give us cleansing. He wants us to experience that. And there's no one else who can do it. There's nothing else that can do it aside from God. Only he can take away our sin and our guilt. Then David goes on to point out the way that you and I can lay hold of forgiveness. Because there's no cleansing without confession. So what do we need from God? We need cleansing. What do we need from God? We need uh we need to be able to confess and, and have him forgive our sin. And so David goes on to pray in verse 6, uh, uh, verse 3, I'm sorry. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, he doesn't mean he didn't sin against Uriah and Bathsheba. But he's saying, ultimately, you're the one I violated first. And, and, I, and not that I don't have to make it right with others or, or acknowledge that. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. That you, God, see perfectly. Because here's the point. We, people can say you hurt me or you didn't hurt me or whatever. Or you broke the law or you didn't break the law. We're like, uh, uh, uh. David's point here is God sees perfectly. He, all th he knows total truth. He knows total reality. And when he judges, he judges rightly because he's the only one who sees the whole picture. He's the only one who understands truth from lies or falsehood. He understands what is right and good from what is not right and good. And so he's justified when he judges. And then he says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, this is a verse that a lot of people take out of context and they make it to be like a, a sexual uh, inner... Um, Intercourse with your spouse is somehow dirty or wrong. That's not what this verse means. This verse means David is recognizing the problem in my soul. Think about David for a minute. Here's this man who's pursued God for decades. He loves God. He, he's the king. He's the sweet. He's written psalms. He's taught people the ways of God. And now he's lost his way. 
And you got to say, well, what about me? What's to protect me? And David realizes this darkness or the sin in his heart, it's, it's there. It's been there his whole life. And, uh, uh, and, and he can easily be overtaken by his own sinfulness. So he's acknowledging the fact that there's this brokenness in my soul that's been with me from the moment I was born, conceived. But then he says in verse 6, You desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So in this, David's not rationalizing. He's not minimizing. He's not justifying what he's done anymore. He's going to get real. He did justify it for a year. Remember, he's, he tried to cover it up. He's living with this sin for a year. And we're going to look at how he actually wrote about that as well. And I'm going to share that in a minute. But once he realized God knew, God wasn't fooled, he stopped playing games. And this is part of why he's a man after God's own heart. He does great things for God and he, he sins in terrible ways, but he, he, he trusts God's mercy and goodness and he turns back to him and he's fully repentant and humble. Um, and this, he has this gut-wrenching sense of, I miss my relationship with God. So David says this to God, it's not your fault, it's mine. Because we'll justify our sin. Well, God, you put me in that circumstance. Or God, why did you have her bathing at that time? Uh, why did you put her in front of my eyes? Or, and we justify or make up all these excuses why we sin. And here's one of the other reasons why people can't receive forgiveness. First reason uh, is uh, they, they just won't, um, we're, we're, unwill, we're not willing to fully admit our sin. We want to polish it over or minimize it or, do, uh, or, or try to cover it up a little bit. I read a letter of a man who um, wrote, wrote, wrote a letter to the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, about his taxes. And he said, I haven't been able to sleep for a year because last year when I filled out my income tax report, I deliberately misrepresented my income. I'm enclosing a check for $150. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> he's trying to minimize. I misrepresented. He lied, right? But I misrepresented. And he's trying to like, do these little negotiations with the IRS. And that's how a lot of us are with God, right? And here's the deal. His bad conscience, it's not going to go away. In fact, psychologically, if you study a guilt complex, a guilt complex results in neurotic behavior. And uh, many psychologists say that their neurotic behavior is an attempt of to punish ourselves for that guilty thing we know that we never uh, that we still have burdening our heart, and uh, that's something to think about right there. But God says, "Here, you can come to me and be cleansed." But what happens uh, when we try to justify it or minimize it? Look at what David said in Psalm 32, or don't look, but listen. David says this, how happy is the man the Lord does not charge with sin and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now listen to what David says next. This is really important. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. He said, when I refused, before I confessed, before I admitted this, I was in a desert. I was all torn up. I was, I, I felt this, this loss of my relationship with God. I, I, I was depressed. I was um, dying inside. This weight of this secret was killing me for the year that I didn't 
admit it. David realized if he was going to have a new start, a fresh start, he needed to repent. He needed to turn to God and confess. And, um, and he needed God to save him because he couldn't save himself. And we have this beautiful verse in the New Testament that uh, I'd encourage you to write down, 1 John 1, 9, that if we find ourselves in David's shoes, here's one of the promises of God. If, and notice it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is faithful and just. He will do the right thing and will forgive us our sins and purify us, cleanse us, remove the stain of all unrighteousness. When we confess our sin and ask God for forgiveness, he can bring healing, cleansing, and he can bring restoration. Because that's what we need from God, right? When we turn back to God away from our sin, he can cleanse us. We, uh, we, we can confess and experience forgiveness. And then he can bring restoration like and no one else and nothing else can. Look at what David says next. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Now, this is really uh, cool. We're not going to get into the imagery fully here, but hyssop was is a sponge-like plant, and it was used to uh, sprinkle the altar where sacrifices were made to offer forgiveness for God. It was the blood sacrifice, and it was used to put blood over the door for the Passover, and it was used to sprinkle the altar. And David's saying, I realized something and people go, what about, what's up with all the blood? What's up with all the blood? This is what pointing to Jesus' sacrifice in the New Testament. I want to say this right here. David realized this sin in my life, even though I've had these moments of following God and, and, then, and now falling away and coming back to God, this sin is so deep that my old self, my old life, my old heart has to be put to death. And I need a new heart. I need a new life. This thing isn't superficial, this sin I committed. It's deep in me and I need to be cleansed. I need only the cleansing that the sacrifices of God will bring and I'll be clean. And then he thinks of what's the whitest thing I know? So I told you about the kid's underwear. (laughs) What's the whitest thing I know? And he thinks snow. He goes, make me whiter than that. I'm thinking of the purest thing I can think of. And I go, Lord, now make me more pure than that. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. You're going to see joy three times in this passage. Because guess what? David hasn't been hearing from God. He hasn't been experiencing from God. He goes, Lord, let me hear uh, your voice again. Let me, let me sense your presence again. Because in your presence, as uh, we're told in Scripture, is fullness of joy. That the presence of God and joy go hand in hand. That we should have the joy of the Lord when we're following Christ. The fruit of the Spirit for those who follow Christ are love, joy, and peace. And guess what? If we don't have some joy in our life, and you can have joy in the midst of sorrow and grief and, and lament, because that joy is, is meant to be uh, intertwined in all of our life, then it might be a sign that there's something that we need to confess. Let your, I want to hear your joy and gladness and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Lord, I want to experience your flourishing again because I'm right with you now. And I want you to fill and invade my life. And you're, the reason you're not filling and invading my life is because of me, not because of you. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Lord, your face, I want shining on me, not shining on my sins. Lord, please hide your face from that. I need those to go away. And now he says something powerful, create in me. And that word for create is a word of something only God does and brings 
uh, something out of nothing. Create me a pure heart. He's saying, God, I need a new heart. I need a pure heart because my heart's wrong. And renew a, a steadfast spirit within me. Lord, I need you to give me a new heart and a new spirit. Don't cast me from your presence. Lord, I need your presence in my life. And, and Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And we have this beautiful promise in the New Testament. And this is God's promise for you and I when we belong to him. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's the promise if you follow Jesus, if you've committed your life, if you've turned to him. And David's saying, I need your presence in my life. And with my sin, I turned my back on you. And now I'm turning my face toward you. And Lord, I, I, I long for your presence. I long for that relationship we once had before I sinned and separated myself from you. And then he says this, restore, bring this, uh, uh, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I remember when I had that joy, Lord, of your goodness and your favor and your presence in my life. And I'm asking you restore that and give me a willing spirit so that I can walk your path and sustain me. So David asked God to restore him so that he's made pure, so that he'd have that joy that comes from a, a life with God and experiencing God, that he'd have the renewal of his relationship with God, which he realizes is the source of all flourishing. And he asked God to uh, restore him in every aspect of his life. Have you ever blown it with God? Of course you have, so have I. And maybe you felt dirty and, and dark. And maybe you feel that way this morning. This is what Jesus said in John 6. All those that the Father give me, John 6, 37, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, listen to this, I will never cast out. So God's given us a promise today. And if you're, you're someone who's experienced God's life and newness and yet you've sinned, there's there's hope for you. Or if you're law, or far from God and you're going, well, how do I start? This is where we start. And the final result is this, okay? True repentance, turning from our sinful path toward God and his path always results in changed behavior. Repentance is more than a feeling. It's an action. It leads us to change our behavior. True repentance leads to change behavior. And I'm just going to read this verse. I wish I could keep going in Psalm 51, but David changes his behavior and he says in, in verse 13, after you bring this to me, Lord, as I receive this, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David says, I'm committing now, Lord, to serve you. And I'm going to tell other people about what you've done for me. He's telling us what God did for him 3,000 years ago. He said, I did all these things and he kept them recorded. And as a king, he could have blotted a lot of these things out, but he didn't. He says, I'm going to teach other people who sin your ways, God, and I'm going to help sinners find their way back to you. And he says, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to share your love. He says, I'm going to worship you. And I'm not going to read that verse here, but he says, my lips are going to pour out authentic praise, not just going through the motions. And he says, I'm going to pray for my, the city of Jerusalem in Israel. Rebuild the walls because one of the things David also realizes to change his behavior is when you and I sin, it affects a lot more people than ourselves. He realizes as king, he's impacted the whole uh, nation of Israel and he's praying, God, have mercy on me and have mercy on them. Rebuild the walls because as some, and we all have people who live in our kingdom. You and I sin, it's not just us. If I sin and do something stupid, it affects my wife. 
affects my kids, affects my grandkids, affects my work. Satan wants us to think, no, this is just your dirty little secret. Uh, God says, no, your life is a life of impact. And I want it to be an impact for my kingdom, but it can also be an impact for destruction. Where are you today? God wants to meet you and I, and God wants us to turn toward him and give us a, a fresh opportunity to experience a fresh start with him in, in our life. I'm going to close with this story about someone you may know. I want you to think, do you know who the person is who invented dynamite? His name is Alfred Nobel, and he invented dynamite in 1867. And he believed that his invention would make war so terrible that people would wars would cease because nobody would want to do that kind of damage to their uh, fellow human beings. And of course, he was sadly mistaken. Instead of ending wars, dynamite made them more devastating and wide-ranging than that they had ever been. And now listen to this tension in his heart. He was horrified by this, but he had no idea what to do. But guess what else? He made a lot of money selling dynamite. And then something strange happened and scary to him. One morning he woke up and at this time in uh, about at the turn of the century, everybody had their newspaper. That was their, their main news source. And he opens up the paper and he reads his own obituary. It said this, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of diamond dynamite who died yesterday, devised a way for more people to be killed in a war than ever before. He died a very rich man. You see, the newspaper was a mistake. It was actually his older brother who had died. Then they misprinted his obituary. But he could not shake the horror of that feeling of this is my legacy. This is my path. I've, I've led more people to kill people than ever before in the world. And when he was confronted with that truth, he, had, he made a choice because he realized this is what I'm going to be known for. This is what my work has accomplished. I, I'm, I'm the villain of the story, not any kind of protagonist or hero. And so what did he do? He founded the Nobel Peace Prize, an award for scientists and writers to foster peace. And it would be given to the person, the scientist or the writer who had fostered peace the most in that year. And he wrote, he said this, Every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph, that writing on your gravestone, correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. What had happened to him? He changed his life. He, he did a U-turn. He repented of the life he was living and he decided to choose a path to do good instead of evil. And one of the interesting things today is, most people don't know that Alfred Nobel inv invented dynamite, but almost every person on the planet has heard of the Nobel Peace Prize. And he has helped to sow seed for peace uh, like few people, few other people. So how would your life and my life look if we were to get honest with God today? If we were to stop hiding and if we were to stop trying to justify our sin? God wants to give us an invitation today to turn back to him. And maybe you're, you're, you're realizing my life is uh, suffering from a lot of things. My spirit is wrong. I don't have the joy of God. I, I feel separate from God. And you're wondering, what is that? Maybe it's that there's some darkness or sin in your life that God's like, come on, bring that to me. Let's get rid of that. It's between us. And I don't want anything between us. And so I want to invite you today
to experience a fresh start with God. And let's uh, come to him in honesty, in authenticity, and uh, confession to experience his love and his goodness. Would you pray with me? And if you are ready to receive God's goodness, you can just pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I, I just confess that uh, I have sin in my life. And I'm asking you, God, to cleanse me. It's not because I deserve it. It's not because of uh, anything I can do. But Lord, I need you to cleanse me. And I'm, I'm asking you for that because you are loving God and you are merciful. You're loving and that means you're for me no matter what. And Lord, you want to see, uh, you want me to be part of your family. And Lord, you're merciful, which means when I turn to you, don't give me what I deserve. You give me what I need. And Lord, I need you. And I confess my sin to you now. This, these things in my life that I know that are dark and wrong, and I, I'm bringing them before you. And I'm asking you, God, to cleanse me, create me a clean heart, and restore me to my relationship with you or bring me this new relationship that I've never had. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to follow you and walk with you, to serve you, to worship you, and to look out for the good of others around me as I realize that I'm a, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by your grace and I'm a child in your family because of your goodness and your love. And Lord, I pray that you'd bring your transforming power into my life and through my life, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you prayed and, and are looking for fresh movement and work of God in your life, I want to encourage you just to message us, and I want to thank you for your time. God bless. Have a great day.